0: Over the past few weeks, if you've been here, we've been looking at the whole subject of following Jesus. The whole area of discipleship to Jesus. And some of the things that we've been saying is that uh, to be a follower of of Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus, it means that we're going to arrange our lives around three main uh, goals or objectives. And, And the first of these is to be with Jesus... The second is to become like Jesus and the third which we looked at last week is to do what um, Jesus did and the question uh, really that we're trying to sort of look at is um, is how exactly does this work all right so if you've got a bible turn with me to Luke chapter 9 and we will try and dig into some of that this is Luke chapter 9 starting in verse uh, 18 I believe once when jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him he asked them who do the crowd say i am and they replied some say john the baptist others say elijah and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life but what about you jesus asked who do you say i am peter answered god's messiah good old peter and then jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone and then he said and this is you know you've got to remember you're a disciple this is This is like a little strange. Jesus then says, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. So, if we read this kind of passage, if we want to be followers of Jesus, you know, we're, we're wanting to be Jesus' disciples, but you read passages like this, and we notice that there's this, just this tiny, insy, little bitty thing that kind of has to happen in that process. That we can so easily overlook. And uh, as we see from this passage in, in Luke, the thing that we've got to do in order to be Jesus' disciples is deny ourselves uh, and take up our cross daily. Yay. Following Jesus. At the center of um, Christian discipleship is a, is a symbol. And it is the symbol of the cross, And the reality is that over the past 2,000 years we've become fairly comfortable with it as a symbol. We wear it around our necks, we uh, have it in our ears, um, it's on our church logos, it's on the, the front of church, it's on our coffee cups. Um, but first and foremost, it's a symbol, and it's a symbol of crucifixion. Uh, now, crucifixion had been around like for hundreds of years before Jesus. The Romans sort of turned it into a bit of an art form in their, cra- their quest for sort of oppressive rule and world domination. One historian wrote this about crucifixion and said, they said this. Crucifixion was quintessentially a public affair, naked and affixed to a stake, cross or tree. The victim was subjected to savage ridicule by frequent passers-by While the general populace was given a grim reminder of the fate of those who assert themselves against the authority of the state. Crucifixion was um, the most shameful way possible to die. In fact, it was so shameful that it was illegal to crucify a Roman citizen no matter what crime they'd committed. It was reserved um, not only for non-Romans, but it was really the... The death penalty given to the the worst of the worst, the least of the least, it was totally inhumane, totally barbaric, and yet the invitation of Jesus that we've just read about in in Luke uh, is essentially this: if you if you really want to live, then first of all, you're going to have to die. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book The Cost of Discipleship, wrote this: "When Christ calls a man, he bids him." come and die and for some people that's a call to a lit, like that's a call to a literal death Bonhoeffer is a really good example of that he was killed by the ss and as we know there are christians all around the world even today they're being killed just for being followers of jesus and this has been going on since Jesus was on earth. Uh, we see it in uh, Acts with the stoning of Stephen. James was uh, beheaded in Jerusalem by Herod. Matthew was killed by the sword in Ethiopia. Mark was dragged by horses through the streets of Alexandria. Luke was hanged in Greece. Thomas was speared to death in India. Peter was crucified upside down in Rome. John John was dipped alive in boiling oil and then left to die on a rock in the mediterranean where do i sign up for being a disciple of jesus you know and then we read that and we know that and the truth is you know would the you or i would be willing to suffer the same fate in our discipleship to jesus but thankfully um for most of us at least those of us living here in the uk that kind of martyrdom is not a real it's not a real threat, it's not a significant threat. Um, so therefore for most of us it's not a call to a literal death, but there is a call to a metaphorical one. And in Jesus' language, what he's talking about here is is like it's like a call to self denial. We'll start twitching. And what that means is um, to say yes to Jesus m- means that We're going to have to say no to like a thousand other things. Saying yes to Jesus means saying no to a thousand other things. We're wanting to say yes to being with Jesus. We want to say yes to becoming like Jesus. We want to say yes to doing what Jesus did. But in order to say yes to all of those things, that means we're going to have to say no to a thousand other desires. It means that we're going to have to say no to things like... Spending our time and our energy and our money exactly the way that we want. Uh, it means that we're going to have to say no to living a life of self centeredness. You know, because when we give our lives to Jesus, we're giving up our autonomy, we're giving up our uh, control. It means saying no to whatever sort of form of sexual identity we fancy uh, and doing that with whoever, with wherever, whenever we. Fancy it the cross and coming to the cross literally means um, whatever, wherever, whenever you know it 's whatever you say jesus i 'll do it Where, wherever you tell me to go jesus i 'll go whenever you tell me to go there i 'm yours now we kind of hear that and we go oh well, yeah, that's like that 's like yeah that 's the goal, and the truth is um, most of us myself absolutely I put myself right at the top of this list and um, we're not all there yet we're not all all of the way there yet I recently had a story about the Knights Templar during the, um, during the Crusades in the 11th century they were baptised these guys were baptised and they were baptised like in their, in their full armour you know, which is a little bit um, weird um, but as they, got, as they were baptised what they would do is they, they took out their sword and they would hold the sword over their heads as they were immersed in the water and they keep their sword out of the water and it's, it's sort of like they were saying you know God you can have all of my life but not this bit not my sword and in that case it was uh, the sword that they were using to uh, wreak violence and injustice and everything else that they p- perpetrated with their chosen career and we kind of look at that and we're like well that's really strange that's really odd but if we spend a little bit of time thinking about it, it's not actually that strange at all because we're not necessarily that much different. You know, m- many of us do sort of almost exactly the same thing on a regular basis. It's just that perhaps they were slightly more honest about it than we might be. You know, imagine if we had baptisms where people just actually held up those bits of their lives that they weren't actually ever really planning on handing over to jesus you know and so people would uh, get baptized and you know they'd kind of keep their career paths just just slightly out of the water just from getting wet i'll keep that i'll keep that out of the water you know or maybe it's a relationship i don't know um just something that we're not quite ready to give to jesus and so we'll keep it out of the damp of baptism maybe it's Maybe it's some kind of addiction or some kind of um, soothing self-medication that we adopt when we are finding life a little bit difficult. You know, and We know that we're supposed to put it to death and we know we're supposed to bury it in the watery grave of baptism. But the truth is we just kind of want to keep our options open a little bit. and We're coming to Jesus, but we're not quite sure we want to come all the way to Jesus quite yet. And the reality is you know, many of us live our lives like that and, and we just need to fill in the, the blank with our sort of Knights Templar sort. We say, God, you can have most of my life, um, but maybe not this part or that part or, or this bit, or at least not yet. You know, I just want to keep that bit back for myself. But as common as that may well be, it's not the way of Jesus. It's not the way of the cross. The way of Jesus is based on the, the life of Jesus, the pattern that Jesus modeled uh, himself. And the pattern of his life is death, burial, and resurrection. And it wasn't just for Jesus. That was the pattern that is to be adopted by all of us in our discipleship to Jesus. For every single one of us, we are to follow the same pattern of death, burial, and resurrection. Because that is the way of the cross. And this life of the cross, this call to self-denial... This invitation to take up our cross and follow Jesus. You see, in all of the Gospels, um, it's there all the way through, but it's in Luke. Luke is the one who's craftily um, slipped in this extra word daily. Thanks, Luke um and the reason he's done that is because you know coming to the cross isn't a one-time event you know the cross coming to the cross isn't something that i came to once you know when i got baptized in 1990 um the cross is an ongoing way of life coming to the cross surrendering at the foot of the cross laying our stuff down at the foot of the cross um is a daily death to all sorts of things and it's actually a daily death to what paul in galatians calls the flesh let's have a quick look at that have a look at galatians chapter 5 verse 16 he says this he says uh, so i say to you walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit desires what is contrary to the flesh they're in conflict and in conflict with one another so you are not to do whatever you want brave uh, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, and orgies, and the like. In case I've missed anything, says Paul. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, on the other hand, is love, joy. Peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And what Paul's basically saying here is that it's, he's sort of saying that it's like it's in our body, actually. Our bodies are uh, one of the key um, points of connection, if you like, or expression in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And, and what he's saying is saying that um, it's in and through our bodies that we actually relate to the God who created us. And what he's saying is that the, the problem is that our bodies, our minds, uh, um, ourselves, they're also like this battleground between these two warring factions that are going on, that he calls the flesh on the one hand and the spirit on the other. And the flesh, as he describes it, is concerned with what sort of philosophers call um, first order desires. Things like um, food, water, sleep, sex, dominion, all those things, all good things, okay, that have got bent out of shape, for want of a better way to describe it, have got bent out of shape, by the fallen nature of mankind. So that those things that God intended for good, because of our fallen nature, have become sinful desires. They got corrupted. Which is why we've got sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery on Paul's hit list. Meanwhile, on the the other hand, they've got the spirit. And the spirit is sort of what philosophers call that sort of second-order desires. And these are the things that get brought to life in us by the breath of God. They get kind of animated and God breathes on us by his spirit. And these things that God has intended for us to be who we are called to be kind of get brought into life and it's like ignited in us. And these are the things that cultivate in us this inner disposition uh, of the life of Jesus and the things like love and joy and peace and patience and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is, and I, I, I'm going out here a little bit on a limb, um, because I hope I'm not alone in this, um, uh, please help me out, is that every day we're actually facing and waging this war of desire within our bodies and in our minds and in our whole person. There's this constant warring two factions going on. And so um, most days, and again, I, I hope I'm not the only one here, um, or we're all in trouble, you know, but, on almost like a daily basis if not a, an hourly basis we, we have all these feelings and these emotions and these um desires and all these things get stirred up and they're like so like kind of dark and evil that we almost even surprise ourselves it's like i can like I, no one like no one knows i'm thinking that do they we like surprise ourselves And then it's almost like we're slightly schizophrenic because in the next moment, we have all these incredibly uh, good and noble and pure and and excellent and praiseworthy emotions and feelings. They're good and true. And we're like, oh, that's a relief. Okay, I was a bit worried for a brief moment. That's better. We live in this constant combat and this turbulent tension between these two. And they're often very, very extreme desires. Uh, If none of you know what I'm talking about, Um, pray for me so uh, talk to one of the trustees Um, so um, one of the keys to being a follower of jesus is learning to crucify or to deny or to put to death our first order desires that have got corrupted since due to the fallen nature of man um, so that we can experience through death and burial of the first order stuff we can experience resurrection that's promised to us through life in jesus Over and over and over again, on a daily basis, we have to crucify all kinds of desires that we carry in the tension of our bodies. Because um, it's the cross, it's at the cross, absolutely, that is the foundation stone to the life of discipleship with Jesus and, and of being transformed into his image. Go back to Luke chapter 9, verse 23. It said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple. And and we kind of read that. We're like, yeah, yeah. I want to be your disciple, Jesus. I want to be your disciple. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. We're all signed up. We want to be transformed with ever increasing glory in the image of Jesus. Yeah. And then Jesus sort of says, okay, well, keep reading. Just to make sure we're all on the same page. uh, Because if you want to be my disciple, first of all, you're going to have to deny yourself. And take up your cross daily and follow me. It's step one in the life of following Jesus. And if we don't take that first step, we're never going to get anywhere. Dallas Willard wrote this He said, Self denial is the overall settled condition of life in the kingdom of God, better described as death to self. In this, and in this alone, lies the key to the soul's restoration. Christian spiritual formation rests on this indispensable foundation of death. To self, and cannot proceed except in so far as that foundation is being firmly laid and sustained. And what this means is that if we want to build this house that is our life, we want to stay. We want that house to stay standing. um, We first need to be laying foundations of dying to self. We we've got to learn how to live the crucified life. If we want to really live, we're first of all going to have to learn how to die. And for a lot of people it's just too much to ask. One of the things I love about Jesus is Jesus is pretty straight talking. He's pretty direct, just in case you hadn't noticed. He doesn't beat around the bush, he doesn't sugarcoat it, there's no kind of um sales pitch. He's just sort of brutally honest. You know, he's saying, you want to follow me? Fantastic. But it's going to cost you. Have a look at um, have a look at verse uh, Luke chapter fourteen, verse twenty-five. Luke chapter fourteen is great. There's large crowds following Jesus, and um, and it seems like whenever there's large crowds following Jesus, you know Jesus um, becomes really popular. The crowds get too big. It's almost like uh, Jesus deliberately says something really unpopular. You know, I don't know whether he's trying to kind of thin things out or, you know, some kind of reverse church growth strategy of Jesus. I don't know. But you've got these large crowds that are traveling with him. And it's almost like Jesus says, I'm going to have to say something that he's like, I'm going to like. I have to upset them all with something. I don't know. And so he goes on in verse 26. And he's like, okay, crowd, you know, you've been following me all day. Right. Listen. Listen up. Let's try this one on you for good size. And then he says in verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. <laughs> uh, that's popular. That's like, you know, lead balloon. You know, some people may be like, well, you know, I, my dad's really annoying anyway, so that's not a problem for me. Um But, you know, we've got to remember this is the first century and uh, this is a culture where the family was really valued and held in really high regard and was held in, yeah, just really high regard. Uh, And, of course, this is hyperbole. uh, And Jesus isn't actually saying this is, I don't know if the youth are still here, but any youth still in the room? Jesus isn't actually saying you get to hate your parents. Right. So any youth stop doing that? Um, let's not misunderstand what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is actually saying is that we are to love Jesus more than even the dearest and the closest and the most wonderful passions of our heart. Then he goes on in verse 27 and says, oh, and by the way, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. It's like, seriously, this is like much harder than I thought. It's just like follow you around and just kind of hang out with Jesus Go to all those parties and drink all that wine we were talking about last week. And now you're saying, I've got to like actually my like self-denial and sacrifice. I'm not sure I was, that's what I signed up for. And we see it over and over again throughout the Gospels. Take up your cross daily. Carry your cross. Follow me. And then what he does in this section, he goes on and he starts telling this sort of, there's a parable. And the parable here is in verse 28. It says, suppose one of you wants to go and build a tower. You know, I know lots of you woke up this morning and thought "Hmm, today I feel like building a tower. So this is going to be really resonate with you tower builders. But suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you've got enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and not able to finish it, everyone who sees it, it will ridicule you saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. And like no one really wants that. That's a bit embarrassing. Then he kind of, just to drive the message home, he then tells another parable. He says, Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men? Suppose the one coming against him with 20,000. If he's not able, he will send a delegation, while the other is still a long way off and will last for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. It's like, oh, it's getting harder. First we're, like, you know, we're just you know, laying ourselves down, denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and now we're giving up everything. Jesus is getting intense in his call to discipleship. He's saying, to follow me is going to cost you. And what he's saying is, before we say, I'm in, we need to be wise, like the tower builder and the king, and we need to weigh it all up. We need to give it some serious consideration. And the reason that Jesus encourages us to give it proper consideration is because Jesus knows that if we spend any time sitting down and working it out, like the tower builder or the king, he knows that it's a no-brainer. He knows that we are going to get far more out of this relationship with Jesus than we are ever going to put in. But he is saying, it will cost you. And for a lot of people, the cost is just too much. Have a look over at um, uh, chapter 18. Here's a story, for me a familiar story. A certain ruler asked him, um, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And he says, you know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, blah, blah, blah. And the, the, the young chap says, all of these I've kept since I was a boy. Great. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. He's followed all of the commands, Ten Commandments, since he was a boy. And then Jesus, you know, he's like prime candidate for following Jesus. Like, properly kosher. Um, Jesus says, yeah, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And then you'll have treasures in heaven. And then, come and follow me. Surprise, surprise. Uh, when the young ruler heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Now, we read that, and that's really familiar, but maybe today's a good time for us to just kind of hit the pause button and just imagine, what would we do if Jesus asked us to do that, like, today? Now, you know, this isn't a command for everyone. Um, It is a command for some people. But it's worth all of us asking the question of what might we do if um, Jesus asked us to do that today. You go home, you have your Sunday lunch, you finish your Sunday lunch, and you're sitting down, you're ready for a snooze, and you feel like the Spirit of God comes, and uh, you feel like Jesus is actually saying, uh, yeah, today, sell everything you own and give it to the poor. Now, We, you might be here this morning, you might find yourself in a situation, you're like 19 years old, you're a student, and so you might say, great, that's fine by me, I don't own anything, I don't own anything apart from, like, debt, huge amounts of it. So, yes, if Jesus spoke to me like that over my very, I wouldn't have a Sunday lunch, obviously, I'd be eating beans on toast, but if Jesus did speak to me like that, I would say, yes, you can have all of my possessions, I'll sell them in a moment, I'll sell the whole box, you know, um, it's all yours. So that could be you. But what about the rest of us? You know, those of us who, you know, gain great guns with our jobs and our careers. What about those of us with a little bits of money? How would we respond? You know, what would we do if after lunch, Jesus says, oh, sell your car. Oh, sell your house or houses. Um, oh, don't forget, you know, the investments. They need to go. Uh, pension. Yeah, that also probably needs to go. All of it. Just sell it all and give it to the poor. Now, I'm not saying that's what Jesus is saying. I'm just asking us to think about what might we re- and how might we respond if he said that. Um, personally, I don't even want to think about that at all. I certainly don't want to think about how I might respond to that question. Just to put it out there. Um, but he goes and he says this, he says, sell everything that you have and give it to the poor, then come and follow me. And as we know, the man became very sad because he was very wealthy. And the story goes on that the rich man, young man, the rich young ruler doesn't follow Jesus. Because, and I totally get where he's coming from, he couldn't take up his cross and follow Jesus. So him, and I totally am with him, I understand, um, There was this great big barrier between him and living this abundant life that God, uh, that Jesus was actually offering him. And it was just getting in the way. And this chap, for this chap, it was his wealth. But for this young ruler to truly live, that part of him actually had to die. And... While we may not get stuck up over, stuck on the whole situation of whether Jesus wants us to sell everything, um, it is a good opportunity, I think, for us to ask ourselves what might be in the way of our relationship with God? What what might be getting in the way of us experiencing the fullness of life that Jesus has come to offer? Because um, we all probably have some kind of obstacle. We all probably have some kind of. Thing, some bit of our lives that we want to keep out of the waters of baptism maybe it's more than one thing there's something in most of our lives getting between us and the life that Jesus has to offer it might be money it might be sex it might be power might be something else Um, the point is that each one of us we're going to have to die to whatever it is in order for us to experience life to the full but it's really, really hard to take up our cross. It's always been hard to take up our cross. This has never been popular teaching, just in case you weren't aware. Um, and the reason it's not so popular is because the truth is most of us, and by that I mean me, because I'm talking not about you, I'm talking about me, because I'm sure you're not in this situation, um, One of the reasons I find it so difficult to take up my cross daily and follow him is because I actually want the best of both worlds. Um, I came across this the other day. Uh, We understand, this is a quote, we understand that while God might ask people in the two-thirds world to give up things, to sacrifice, the heresy hidden under the surface of our lives is our belief that God would not ask Western people to deny themselves. Ouch. So, um, I want the best of both worlds. Um, I want to be really generous. Absolutely. I, I love being generous. I'd love to be more generous. Truth be told, I want to be really, really rich first. So that I can be really, really generous second. I really want to follow Jesus, like with everything that I have. But I also at the same time want to lead my life exactly the way that I want to and control it and have complete and utter free reign to do whatever I want, whenever I want it and when to do it. I I, I really want character, absolutely. Um, I just don't want any of the suffering that is going to produce the character that I really want. Um, I want humility, uh, and boy, do I need it. Um, I don't want humiliation. Uh, I I want patience, Um, and if any of you know me at all, you want me to have patience too. Um, I just don't want to have to wait for it. Um, I want to be kind. Uh, I just don't want people in my life who irritate me. Um, (laughs) (coughs) Yes. I'm trying to be honest. Um, Do pray for me. Um, I want to hear God's voice. I don't know that I really want to get up very early in the morning and pray. Um, I I want the life of Jesus. I'm just not sure I want to experience or encounter the cross of Jesus. And I I hope, I mean, again, um, tell me if I'm the only one who's in this situation and if i am do pray for me Uh, i think my guess is that most of us if we're honest live somewhere around some of those two tensions those kind of tensions most of the time and when i'm saying all of this you know please don't please don't feel that this is about guilt or about shame i'm not trying to guilt any of us myself or you know heap shame upon us this isn't about condemnation for any feeling any of those things because those of us who are in christ jesus don't live in condemnation But it may be that, you know, um, as we look at some of this stuff, um, we start to feel something. As I have been feeling all week uh, preparing for this talk. If you ever get an opportunity to preach, be really, really careful what you choose to preach on. Because you tend to experience very much of your sermon throughout the week or two before. So pick like, you know, money, like some, I don't know, pick some nice subject. Um, uh, whatever. But um, this isn't about condemnation. It may be that the things that we're feeling, the things that I've been feeling this week, uh, haven't actually been, it's not been condemnation, it has been conviction. And there is, a, there is a marked and a very important distinction between those two things, condemnation and conviction. Are we familiar with the difference between those two things? Um, uh, conviction... Comes from the Spirit of God. And conviction sends us on our faces to Jesus. The Spirit of God comes and convicts me, is leading me into all truth. I end up on my face before the Lord, and I am running to Jesus on my face before Him. Condemnation, on the other hand, literally comes straight from the pit of hell. It is not of the Lord. And the, the impact and the, the, the consequence of condemnation is that it sends me running away from Jesus as fast as I possibly can because I feel so much guilt and shame. So we need to understand the difference between the two because one is incredibly healthy, one is incredibly godly, the other is just a, a strategy and a device of the enemy to separate us from the love of God. Because that's not who Jesus is. It's not who the Father is. The Father always wants to draw us into closer communion with him. And so if we're feeling something, it, let's work out whether it's conviction or condemnation. If it's condemnation, reject it. If it's conviction, go with it. Like seriously, go with it. Allow the Spirit of God to lead us. And let's go running into the arms of Jesus. Um, let's boldly approach the throne of grace. And let, let's allow him uh, to do the stuff and to deal with our stuff and to heal our broken hearts let's let the spirit of god come i've had a i've had a bit of a week um yeah i've had a fun week um i have not a fun week uh, but through it all the lord's been challenging me i mean the lord's been challenging me he's been convicting me on on this and a whole host of other things um because i've i've not been at my best this week like at all. Um, I've been on edge. Uh, I've, I've lost the very, very little patience that I had to start with. Um, I've not been very gracious. Uh, it's, for me, it's not been a good week. Uh, but through it all, the Spirit of God, in His goodness and His grace and His mercy, has been drawing near to me. And He's been calling me and inviting me to deny myself and take up my cross and follow Him. And most of the time, this week certainly, if I'm honest, I haven't done that, and so I've had to repent and ask the Lord to forgive me, uh, which He has, and I've asked and, and I'm asking him to change my heart. But on the odd occasions that I did deny myself and take up his cross and uh, follow him, I've experienced all that goodness and grace of God, and I've experienced His presence and his nearness and his dearness in the most incredible and wonderful ways. I am coming to land. Um, for some of you, there's, there's, there's one thing that's kind of getting in the way. There's getting between you and the fullness of life that is on offer for us as followers of Jesus. And it may be that even now the Spirit of God is just is highlighting that to you. Um, over this coming week, all of us are going to have a thousand opportunities to die. Jesus gives us so many opportunities in the normal run of our lives to die to self and to put this stuff into practice. If you are a parent, you will have a gazillion opportunities in the next 24 hours to die to self. If you are a husband or a wife or if you're a flatmate or you share your living space with another human being, if you know another human being, You are going to have this week, I promise you, plenty of opportunities to die to self. If you have a body, we have so many opportunities to deny ourselves and instead take up our cross and follow Jesus. And following Jesus is actually all about those moments. Following Jesus is literally is in that moment where we've got that choice that we're going to make between the flesh on the one hand and the spirit of God on the other, um, between um, speaking unkindly on one hand or, or holding our counsel. You know, between yet another click on our computers or, or actually just closing the lid. Between saying yes, between saying no. Whatever it is, you fill in the fill in the blanks. Because the reality is following Jesus, discipleship to Jesus, is actually a thousand small deaths that leads to one massive life. So, uh, I don't need to finish. I don't know where you are at. I I think the Lord wants to minister to us this morning. Uh, So, I want to just create some space whereby we can um, ask the question to Jesus. You know, um, what is it in my life that's getting between me and you? What is, what is there in my life right now that's, that's kind of a barrier between me experiencing the fullness of the life that Jesus has called me to? Is there something in my life today, this morning, that you are highlighting by the goodness and the grace of your Holy Spirit that needs to die in order for me to live? Because he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. So if there's something coming to your mind, just as we minister in a minute, Kate's going to come up and lead us in ministry. Um, But if there's something coming to mind, allow that thing. Don't try and squash it down and shove it back in its box. Allow the Spirit of God to bring that thing up and allow yourself to hold that thing and bring that thing to the front of your heart. And let's just see what the Lord wants to do. Um, As we... Surrender to him as we encounter him, because it's in these sort of moments that the beginning of freedom and abundant life actually comes. So, why don't you stand? I'm a minister.